Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back or welcome to any new listeners to this week's episode of the Periodical Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin, along with our resident podcast guru, Tavis Killian here. Greetings. And today we're going to be discussing the Texas deep freeze and why Texans are facing power bills that in some cases could have bought them a new car. Our discussion today is going to cover the content in this week's periodical that I released this past Wednesday, March the 10th. But enough of this, let's dive right in. Last month, Texas spiraled into a frenzy as a burst of Arctic air swept southward across the Great Plains. On Monday, February 15th, all 254 of Texas's counties were under a winter storm warning at the same time. As the storm progressed, wind turbines froze in place, natural gas wells froze solid, refineries shut down, and more than 4 million barrels of crude oil production was shut in. As the amount of power supplied to the grid fell rapidly, demand was simultaneously skyrocketing as consumers and businesses turned up the heat and stayed inside to avoid the weather. Millions in Texas were left without power and heat as a result of an electric grid that had not taken winterization measures. But many of the Texans who managed to keep the lights on during the winter storm are getting sky-high electric bills, the product of a deregulated sector that allows power companies to charge variable rates. A major winter weather system characterized by extreme cold spread across much of the central United States, disrupting energy systems and causing serious health and safety issues, particularly in Texas. At the same time that the cold weather increased energy demand as consumers and businesses turned up the heat and stayed inside to avoid the weather, it also affected energy supply, causing intense and widespread energy market disruptions. Notably, electricity deliveries were disrupted in the parts of Texas served by the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, or the ERCOT, as a result of various issues related to plant operations, and on Sunday night, which was February 14th, power plants in Texas started flickering offline. Wind generation fell 32% between 9 p.m. Sunday and 3 a.m. Monday local time, according to the U.S. Energy Information Agencies, while coal dropped 13% and natural gas generation, the cornerstone of Texas's grid, plummeted 25% over that six-hour period. The blackout, which affected a few million residents at its peak, is among the largest in U.S. history. By the time the sun rose over Texas around 7 a.m., energy demand on the state's primary electric grid had surged about 71 gigawatts, but Texas power plants were only able to muster up about 51 gigawatts of electricity, leaving millions without power and shivering in the cold. Plain and simple, the Texas system was simply not prepared for the cold despite having experienced freezing temperatures back in 2011 that saw gas wellheads lock up and coal plants seize up. The result was an immense gap between the energy the state demanded and what could be supplied. The Electric Reliability Council of Texas, ERCOT, who manages the flow of electric power to more than 26 million Texas consumers, representing about 90% of the state's electric load, was unprepared for the cold conditions and the surge in demand for power as people tried to heat their homes. ERCOT operates as an independent grid from the rest of the U.S., which consists of the East Interconnect, West Interconnect, and Texas Interconnect. The grid operates a wide range of power generation, nuclear, natural gas, wind, hydro, solar, biomass, geothermal, and other local means, which is broken up into baseload and peak shavers. Each region of the U.S. has power generation capacity broken up in this way. Baseload is an asset that runs constantly and will only go offline for planned maintenance or extraordinary failure. Nuclear, coal, and natural gas, or the thermal assets, as well as hydro dams, make up the lion's share of baseload in the United States. Over the last decade, the whole U.S. grid has been retiring key baseload assets, mainly coal, and replacing them with either outright natural gas capacity or with renewable power with a backup natural gas turbine. In warmer climates, like California, 
Some renewable power is using a battery backup structure, but current technology and weather remains prohibitive for broader deployment. In Texas, the need for winterizing assets has always been an afterthought. Other parts of the country that deal with colder temperatures have solutions for a lot of these issues. For example, natural gas power generation can have tracers on pipes, valves, and various connectors, or insulation around key equipment. But insulation would be near impossible to implement in Texas due to heat, so other retrofits would be required. Wind turbines can be outfitted with insulated turbines, oil and fluid heaters, resin-covered blades to limit ice buildup, and other high-grade components to protect the asset. The only problem is, all these solutions cost money. Money energy suppliers in Texas deemed unnecessary due to their temperate climate. So how can these energy providers ensure backups at time of crisis? This is where the short cycle gas turbines, which can turn on in two to three hours, come into play. These assets are called peakers or peak shavers and can come online quickly to fill in a growing electricity need during peak hours or surging demand such as a heat wave or cold spells. Any assets such as coal can be used at peak conditions, but there are limitations. It is costly and timely to maintain because it can take 24 to 48 hours to bring certain assets online, and coal, for example, can freeze together if not rotated. All these restrictions make natural gas turbines the preferred and most cost-effective method during peak demand. During the storm, natural gas demand spiked in Texas and all around the region, drying up excess capacity and sending prices of spot natural gas up hundreds of dollars. The freeze-offs at the wellhead of producing wells caused shutdowns and new natural gas production, which also limited the available gas across the region. While nuclear and coal maintained steady activity as wind started to fade, natural gas quickly picked up the slack. But remember, it was cold and everyone in Texas was starting to turn up the heat to keep warm, which quickly pulled natural gas out of the system. Many in Texas also rely on electricity to heat their homes, so as the temperature dropped, demand rose for electricity as well, and natural gas power plants were turning on in rapid fashion to stabilize the grid as power demand accelerated. The issue is, there are rules on who gets distributed natural gas first. Residential, industrial with firm contracts, then industrial with interruptible contracts. So, as peakers began losing their natural gas supply, as pipelines looked to protect pressure and keep residential customers supplied, equipment exposed to the elements started to fail. Equipment at power plants, midstream compressor stations, and other industrial assets started to freeze over and created a cascading drop in available natural gas and, furthermore, electricity. In order to maintain grid integrity, ERCOT began rolling blackouts to cut power in a controlled fashion and keep the system up and running. So let's talk about what we were seeing here. So as the storm is rolling in, people, you know, the temperature outside's dropping, people inside are starting to turn up that thermostat. But some people in Texas do rely on electricity for their heat. So electricity demand's going up, demand for natural gas for heating is going up, all while you know, the wind turbines are starting to freeze up and, and those are starting to co come offline. Efficiencies for nuclear and coal plants, those are going down. So electricity is falling just as demand for natural gas for not only heating, but also for these peak shavers. As those other things are coming offline, these peak shavers are coming back online to try and fill that gap. So all while this is happening, just demand is absolutely skyrocketing and it just got to a tipping point. Like I said, the grid could only provide 51 gigawatts, but people were demanding 71. That is a huge gap right there of supply and demand. And ERCOT just decided, look, we have to start instituting these rolling blackouts before catastrophe strikes, and Texas could have been left in the dark for months. But let's continue this a little bit further. Why was the grid all of a sudden so strained? So Texas produces and consumes more electricity than any other state. And it's also the only state in the continental U.S. 
that runs on a standalone electricity grid, which is designed to keep the state's energy system independent and isolated from other markets. The grid, which is, again, operated by ERCOT, is not subject to federal oversight and is largely dependent on its own natural resources to produce power by way of natural gas at 51%, wind at about 25%, coal 13%, nuclear about 5%, and solar 4%, while hydro-biomass-fired units constitute the last about 2%. And here lies the problem. It means that during critical weather events, like the storm experienced in mid-February, most of Texas cannot connect to other grids, which are then connected and draw from each other when needed. Unlike other U.S. electric grid operators, ERCOT does not have a capacity market, which are payments made to operators to ensure power needs in coming years to handle events like a freeze. Instead, regulators use scarcity pricing to ensure reliability, but can cause real-time prices to soar during shortages. Capacity market auctions determine three years in advance what price generators will receive to make their output available to grid operators. But interestingly enough, grid operators get paid whether or not they produce power. And so when I look at this stuff, I see a wide spectrum, of course. Like you mentioned, there's other states connected to grids, like California. They are the largest importing energy state in the United States, and they just call on other people to support their peaks when they do need it, and they can do that because they're connected to the grid. Let's talk about what happened when there was those wildfires in California this summer, when solar and wind weren't able to provide the needed electricity from California. Yes, they had to institute rolling blackouts, but they also had the availability to pull electricity from other states. Granted, it was in the form of coal, in the form of natural gas. It's not quite the sources that California has been so known for, but in Texas, there isn't that ability to say, oh, you know, our grid is strained. You know, can we pull from Oklahoma? Can we pull from a neighboring state? They just don't have that ability. Sucks to be an energy island, I tell you what. Along with 16 other states, Texas has deregulated its power generation market, but still has a wholesale and retail component like the markets for many other goods. In the wholesale power market, companies that generate electricity compete with one another to provide power on a market run by ERCOT. In the retail market, other companies buy power wholesale from ERCOT, add transmission and distribution charges to the wholesale generation cost, and resell that electricity to households and businesses. These resellers include Texas's five electric utilities, which offer fixed and regulated prices in the areas of the state that they serve. Hundreds of others, known as retail providers in the Texas system, are unregulated and can offer electricity to consumers at any terms and any price. The system is designed so that when there's a shortage of electricity, well, the price will go up and power companies will have an incentive to generate more electricity, sort of a standard supply-demand sort of situation. The issue becomes, when consumers choose a provider, they may not understand what they're signing up for. In particular, some plans bill customers at fixed rates, while others charge varying rates that reflect wholesale market conditions. Even with the best communications from retailers, the prospect of lower electric rates may lead some consumers to discount the possibility of high or volatile bills. ERCOT's wholesale prices will occasionally spike to very high levels, and consumers who get their power through market-based contracts have to pay for those high prices. But price spikes don't normally last for very long, typically just for a few hours and mostly during the summer. But they can have some benefit, since they give electric retailers opportunities to inform customers about the value of energy consumption. When cold weather arrived in Texas, prices on the ERCOT market rose to $9,000 per megawatt hour, the maximum price allowed by the Public Utility Commission of Texas for a few hours before falling again. But by February 15th, 
The commission triggered an emergency provision ordering ERCOT to maintain the $9,000 per megawatt hour maximum all week. This mechanism is meant to send a price signal when demand is high, giving customers an incentive to conserve energy. If it works, demand will fall along with prices and the grid will stay in balance. But scarcity is not the same thing as the near-complete collapse of the Texas grid resulting from freezing weather and fuel shortages. It is also important to note the move was not meant as a play to line the pockets of utility providers, but instead to incentivize them to do anything possible to provide electricity while encouraging customers to conserve as much energy as possible. The problem was, many did not realize the extremity of their utility bill until after the storm was over. Texas's uniquely volatile and competitive electricity market's variable rates were great when the weather is good, but not so much when disaster strikes. And I like how you mentioned that this wasn't a move to just, oh, we can get rich off of these people. This is just a result of the way their market is structured. Because I remember seeing Twitter, everyone, you know, it's a mob calling, ah, we got to go to the top, get the regulators, they're profiting off of our misery. But it just comes down to supply and demand. I didn't know this. You don't know this. The heat is on and I pay the bill. That's as much as I think about. Yeah, exactly. But down in Texas, some people don't realize that they don't have this fixed rate. It's this variable rate that... Yeah, you know, when, you know, it's it's mild weather, they're going to have super, super, super cheap bills. But as soon as an emergency like this happens, they get those skyrocketing bills. And it is important to note that they released an emergency provision. This was not something that they planned on. It was absolutely an emergency. It was the last case scenario to just get providers as much incentive as they could to say, hey, bring on as much electricity to the grid as you can to try and provide these customers with the power that they need while at the same time it was meant to encourage consumers to save as much electricity as possible. The problem is, a lot of people kind of disregarded this, but now that their bills are hitting, they're pretty pissed. Texans who managed to keep the lights on during the winter storm were thankful in the moment, but are now getting sky-high electric bills. This is mainly a product of a deregulated industry that allows power companies to charge variable rates. Measures that were originally intended to give logical signals to the electricity market and encourage conservation during very hot spells, were not up to the task of managing this cold weather crisis. One of the most popular wholesale plans in the state is offered by the company Gritty. And as the storm moved in, the company took the extraordinary step of urging its customers to switch to a different electricity provider. But it was far too late for many residents as switching electricity companies can take days, and in the meantime, the price of electricity increased dramatically. The average price for electricity in Texas in the winter is about $120 per kilowatt hour, according to the U.S. Energy Information Administration. But as the grid sputtered while the storm raged on, Texas utility regulators allowed the prices to rise to $9,000 per megawatt hour, nearly 100 times higher than the typical rates for nearly four days. A large household in Texas with a lot of electric heating might have used about a half a megawatt hour of electricity during this very cold week. Under normal ERCOT weather prices, that household would have paid around $60 for electricity for the week. But because the price was kept at $9,000 per megawatt hour for so long, this household would have paid $4,500 in electric bills that week alone if it had signed up for a market-based contract with an unregulated retail supplier. Christopher Connolly of NPR station KERA in Dallas noted, Many retail energy providers move customers automatically onto variable rate plans after their fixed rate contract terms expire. So, if your 12-month fixed rate contract ends and you don't shop for a new fixed rate plan, you might find yourself moved onto a variable rate plan without your notification. 
So even if individuals thought they had signed up for a fixed rate contract, they might still have been hit with an atrociously high February power bill if their contract expired without warning. As bad as the situation was, it could have been significantly worse. In fact, the Texas power grid was 4 minutes and 37 seconds away from a total collapse, meaning a statewide blackout, ERCOT officials said at an emergency board meeting after the storm had passed. The quick decision that grid operators made in the early hours of Monday, February 15th, to begin what was intended to be rolling blackouts, but lasted days for millions of Texans, occurred because operators were seeing warning signs that massive amounts of energy supply was dropping off the grid. A catastrophic failure that could have left Texans in the dark for months was inevitable if actions were not taken quickly. If demand for power overwhelms the supply of power generation available on the grid, failures begin to occur. Equipment catching fire, substations blowing, and power lines going down are all possible failures if demand overwhelms supply. If the grid had gone totally offline, the physical damage to power infrastructure from overwhelming the grid would have taken months to repair, said Bernadette Johnson, senior vice president of power and renewables at Enveris. As chaotic as it was, the whole grid could have gone down. While ERCOT has taken a lot of heat, it could have been significantly worse if it weren't for the quick decisions of the grid operators. If that had occurred, even as power generators recovered from the cold, ERCOT would have been unable to quickly reconnect them back to the grid. As Johnson noted, it has to balance constantly. Once a grid goes down, it's hard to bring it back online. If you bring on too many customers, then you have another outage. All right, Tavis, let's jump back into some of these numbers here. Four minutes and 37 seconds. I mean, they were quite literally less than five minutes away from a total grid collapse. That would have been horrible. Millions of Texans were left without power for a week. But imagine the whole state left without power for months at a time. I mean, what what would have happened? Terrible, terrible, terrible things. Yeah, I mean, we thought that, you know, the the rooting and rioting, you know, earlier in the summer was bad. Imagine how bad it could have got down oh, in yeah. Texas with Just, people without power for months. A day of power outage would have been a walk in the park if they had not taken the actions that they did to save it. Absolutely. And then, and then let's talk about how ERCOT kept those prices at $9,000 per megawatt hour. I mean, yes, that sounds astronomical, but but the logic behind it was was right there. You know, we need as much electricity as can be provided to the grid. So it's incentive to the people, you know, supplying the power, but it's also incentive for the people demanding that same power to use less of it. You know, if we can encourage it, Hey, it's going to be super expensive. Try not to use as much. The logic is there, but it just, it got to such an extremity that those rolling blackouts were inevitable. Yeah. It's hard to ask people not to heat their homes, but when they go ahead and do that, what you get $7,000 for a week and saw up to $17,000 for half of February. I mean, you could buy a car for that much. That's almost three years of the rent that I pay right now. That is a lot of money. No kidding. And so, you know, our our, our thoughts definitely go out to those down in Texas, but we, we really do think that the steps taken were necessary and were appropriate. Praising his people for doing the right thing, Bill Magnus, president of ERCOT, announced that the operators who took those actions to prevent a catastrophic blackout and much worse damage to our system was, I would say, the most difficult decision that had to be made throughout this whole event. But was that really the case? The quick steps taken by grid operators to induce those rolling blackouts certainly saved the entirety of the grid from months of blackouts. But was that truly the most difficult decision of the storm? And how is power restored so quickly across the state as the storm continued? Luckily, the answers to both of those can be attributed to the actions taken by Texas Governor Greg Abbott. Governor Abbott directed Texas natural gas providers not to ship their product outside of the state 
until Sunday, February 21st, and asked the state energy regulator to enforce his export ban. The logic behind the decision was to keep the energy needed to pull the state out of crisis in the state instead of being shipped outside of their borders. Texas produces more natural gas and oil than any other U.S. state and accounts for roughly one quarter of U.S. natural gas production, about 27.8 billion cubic feet per day on average. But Texas only consumes part of that, shipping the rest to other states via pipelines or to Mexico. Even though Texas produces more natural gas than any other state, they're not used to dealing with frigid temperatures, which cause natural gas output to slump. In early February, Texas operators were producing about 24 billion cubic feet per day, but on Monday, Texas production plummeted to a fraction of that, producing somewhere between 12 and 17 billion cubic feet per day. At that time of crisis, Governor Abbott chose to keep the gas in Texas's borders to support an energy-thirsty grid at the expense of other buyers. The ban prompted a quick response from officials in Mexico, which relies on imports via pipeline from Texas. Quote, We are doing our diplomatic work so the ban does not go ahead, Mexico's President Obrador said. We understand that they are in an emergency situation, but I do not think that closing the borders is the solution. End quote. Luckily, the gubernatorial order was quick-lived as the influx of natural gas to in-state power generators struggling with the severe feedstock shortage helped solve the crisis in a matter of days. But the road to recovery facing Texas is a long uphill battle, and it starts with customers' bank accounts. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton is suing Gritty, one of the most popular wholesale providers in the state, saying the electricity provider passed along massive increases during winter storms, leaving some customers to face thousands of dollars in power bills. Paxton's lawsuit says Gritty deceived customers when it promised low wholesale energy prices. One woman, who lives in Houston, said Gritty charged $4,677 to a credit card for one week of electricity in an 800-square-foot apartment. This customer, along with countless others, say they were blindsided by the surge pricing, particularly when Gritty automatically charged their checking accounts or credit cards. While the company urged people to switch to another provider as the state's electrical grid faltered, energy companies offering more stable pricing said new customers would have to wait at least a week before starting the process of applying for a new account. While only one of the many lawsuits in the works, the state's lawsuit accuses Gritty of downplaying the risk of fluctuating energy prices and cites a Better Business Bureau alert from 2019, which said Gritty should not promise wholesale prices to consumers because it doesn't directly own or control a facility that primarily sells to retailers. Governor Abbott is also taking matters into his own hands to help those most impacted by the storm and ensuring it will not happen again in the future by asking the legislature to mandate the winterization of Texas's power system and for the legislature to ensure the necessary funding for winterization. In addition, the governor announced he is requesting a major disaster declaration which includes individual assistance, public assistance, and the hazard mitigation grant program from the White House. This declaration will allow eligible Texans to apply for assistance to help address broken pipes and related property damage as well as the astronomical energy bills they face. This is in addition to his previous request for a federal emergency declaration from the White House, which was granted a week prior. For now, the state is working to distribute food, water, generators, and additional supplies to Texas communities who are not yet able to return to their normal way of life. Surely this is something they can learn from, something that has never happened, happened once, and will never happen again, right? Oh, Tavis, you're such a jokester because the issue remains, this is not the first time Texas has been hit by an Arctic burst that all but shut down the entire state. Back in 2011, around the Super Bowl, 
Cold weather swept through the state, plunging millions of people into darkness. At that time, natural gas generation experienced difficulties and had ERCOT not reduced the load through rolling blackouts similar to this storm, it would have resulted in widespread blackouts throughout the entire region, a federal report from the storm warned. But even after upgrades were made after the 2011 winter storm, many Texas power generators have still not made all the investments necessary to prevent these sorts of disruptions happening to all their equipment. That's left many people wondering, why didn't energy producers and regulators do more to prepare for this cold spell? It appears the answer is unfortunate, but quite simple. It's funding. As energy sources in Texas, as well as the rest of the United States, compete to be the lowest cost producer, both monetarily and environmentally, corners are often cut. Since winter cold snaps are a rarity in Texas, providers avoided winterization to increase efficiency of their equipment during the hot summer months. The fact remains that energy providers across the board from fossil fuels to renewables were ill-equipped to handle the Arctic storm. Luckily for those in Texas, fossil fuels were able to partially fill a gap as demand surged and avoid total catastrophe. The state of Texas has long been a supporter of oil and gas as they realize it is the meat and potatoes of energy generation in the state and can be brought online rather quickly. The state is still pursuing clean energy sources, but realizes they are supplemental to the energy that the state needs. Moving forward, additional state legislation may help more investment into winterizing the power grid, which will hopefully prevent or reduce any chance of repeating history. It is possible to winterize natural gas power plants, natural gas production, wind turbines, coal plants, and others, and we know this because it's regularly implemented in other states that experienced extreme winter weather on a regular basis. Additional information or training could also be readily available to consumers so they better understand how their electricity supplier source energy, what options are available, and how to define fixed versus variable rate pricing that can impact their bottom lines. More blanket regulation is not necessarily always the best solution, and while Texas was not prepared for this cold snap, hopefully the state can come to a compromise for preventing future grid issues while continuing to provide consumers a variety of options to best fit their needs. But that is the end of this episode. We know it was a long one, but a lot of you were asking, hey, what's going on? And sometimes we don't know, so we look into it for you. So again, if there's something else you want us to do for you, you can contact us. You can leave reviews on the podcast, email me and Kevin directly at podcast at rarepetro.com because we are doing this for you. But that is the end. Please go to rarepetro.com to find plenty of more information. And until we see you next time, take care, everybody. Have a great and safe week. 